You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Welcome to the Antler Up Podcast brought to you by Tethered, the world's best saddle hunting equipment, and we have a fun show for you all today. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to this week's episode of the Antler Up Podcast. We're on episode 199. Holy cow, this is unbelievable. 199, still can't believe that, uh, and I'm having a blast doing it. But this week's episode, I was joined by Bill Thompson, owner of Spartan Forge. And let's get straight to it, man. Bill is an individual that loves data and improving daily during his everyday life. So, he wants to improve, obviously, as an individual and a hunter, and Bill does what he can to do so. So over the last couple of years since starting up Spartan Forge, Bill has been able to share camp with some outstanding hunters of the likes of Levi Morgan, the guys from Seek One, Johnny Stewart, Bo Martonic, Taylor Chamberlain, and so on and so on and so on. And we really get into some really good topics during this episode. Topics include what is happening right now for Bill during the season, updates to Spartan Forge, common questions and underutilized features of the app, and some straight-up fun topics regarding improving it as a person as well as the importance of Deer Camp. So we begin this episode by hearing Bill share his story about his elk hunt with the guys over at, at Seek One when he went out with Drew, where he also has been able to share camp with, like I mentioned earlier, earlier with some great hunters and has been able to improve as a hunter, but also as an individual from these people. But Bill was on episode 65 and back then Spartan Forge wasn't even an app yet. So a crap ton has changed and developed since then. Bill covers some really cool updates to the app, little tidbits of what is also to come. And like I mentioned earlier, underutilized features and more from there, Bill shares how he is going to be using the data from the app and personal past history to hunt PA during right now, this time frame during November. And we wrap up this episode by Bill talking about areas he has grown as an individual as since he started Spartan Forge and bringing back the importance of deer camp. So be sure to check Bill out online and download the Spartan Forge app today. And don't forget to use our code, our podcast code, AntlerUp, and you could save 20% on your membership today. And if you haven't checked it out or seen it online, the price will go up. Uh, so now's a chance to lock that in for you. Uh, use code AntlerUp and you'll save 20%. So enjoy this fun episode, everybody. Best of luck to you. I can't wait to share some of my success with you this year, talking with some friends. And I can't wait to bring some really cool episodes to you during the rest of this year. Best of luck to you. And if you like what you hear, please go leave that five-star review over on, on iTunes, on Spotify, and write something too as well. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pick a couple that do write this, and I'm going to kind of get a hold of you. I'm going to say something on the podcast. We're going to get a prize package out to you just you know, as a thank you for, for that support and writing something down. I don't know what, whether, who knows? We're going to get Exodus to kick in some some stuff. We're going to get uh, a Spartan Forge membership, uh, just, just some really cool things that people that support us. Maybe a discount over at America's Best Bowstrings. So some things that we're going to head to your to your way. All you got to do, again, is just go to iTunes, write that five-star review, and whatever you want to say about the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thanks again, everybody, for reaching out, and we'll see you next week. 
Antler Up. Tethered is a team of saddle hunting fanatics with a passionate addiction to whitetail hunting. Designing and engineering products to be a more efficient and confident hunter, Tether produces the most mobile, stealthy, and safest elevated hunting gear on the planet. Built by saddle hunters for the saddle hunter. Head over to tethernation.com to see for yourself what exactly I'm talking about. America's Best Bowstrings has been manufacturing high-quality custom bowstrings in the USA since 2006. America's Best Bowstring strives on the commitment to never end the search for perfection, and this has been the driving force behind the company. Innovative products for every archer out there. Go create a custom set today at americasbestbowstrings.com. And a special code is made for our listeners of the Antler Up podcast for America's Best Bowstrings. Use code ANTLERUP and you will save $10 off your order. Spartan Forge stands at the nexus of machine learning and whitetail deer hunting to deliver truly intuitive and science-based products that saves the hunter time spent scouting, planning, and executing their hunts. You have deer prediction, journaling, and the best maps on any hunting app platform there is. Use code ANTLERUP to save 20% off your Spartan Forge membership at spartanforge.ai. Hey everybody, before we get into this week's episode, I want to share some exciting news. The Exodus crew is now launching the Exodus Vault. It's a place to lock in significant savings on their website over at exodusoutdoorgear.com. Exodus Vault will feature some of your favorite products or Exodus gear you haven't considered checking out. Varying from limited run products to last chance savings on customer favorite products, which is one of the Exodus render where you could save $95 on one while supplies last because once they're gone, they're gone. I've had nothing but amazing experiences with the render. I have two of them and I'll tell you what, phenomenal photos, phenomenal videos at a great data plan price. No glow flash. The render will provide critical real-time data right now for you that you need. And again, once they're gone, they're gone. It stood the test of time with thousands and thousands of hunters out there. So again, the final opportunity to purchase this render, but you could get also some second chance arrows, or you could also get a memory card holder. And real quick, there is no additional coupons that will be allowed to put on this. But to show your support for the Antler Up podcast, go ahead and put Antler Up in your order notes. That will just show that you heard it from me and it'll help me out with, with those guys as well. So definitely check out the Exodus Vault because again, some great savings on some phenomenal gear because once they're gone, it's gone. So check it out over at exodusoutdoorgear.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. This week, I'm joined by founder of Spartan Forge. I got Bill Thompson on the podcast. Bill, welcome back to the show, dude. How you doing, Jeremy? Uh, doing really well. It's It's been a bit, we just got done saying it's been a busy October. Uh, for me, at this moment, I am five for five with five deer down. Uh, really, really cool because uh, obviously with the bow, but all five, Bill, I've been able to actually watch drop or like within vicinity of them dropping which has been phenomenal like this year in a nutshell my goal was to kind of get back to the basics and have fun and just enjoy it and my buddy when I talked to him yesterday he goes here's a question for you Jeremy because did you not not shoot a deer <clears throat> that you that wasn't by you and I was like other than a fawn yeah pretty much every other deer I, I did shoot and, and put down which is good I donated some meat to the uh the the 
Hunters for Hunger uh, program. I did that here in PA, which has been good and working on my own and sent some to get some meat for, for my, for our family and also some of our other families that I could kind of give out to. So it's been a blast and I got one more trip coming up. So yeah, it's, it's been a, a pretty good fall so far for me, man. How, how are things going for you? Good. I just did my second hunt this morning of the year or maybe third, second or third. Um, well, I guess third. So I did my third hunt this morning of the year and, um, had some bucks this morning and, uh, kind of got held up coming here. So I apologize for that. But, um, uh, yeah, I had some bucks, uh, this morning and, um, ended up let's two hunts before this. I had opportunities on deer both times, but I was in the area for different animals. So, um, ended up seeing a really nice on my last hunt, my second hunt of the season ended up seeing like a really nice 140 that daylighted, um, in an area I actually made a reel about it the other day, but they were fighting everything. It was, they were all uh, tuned up, but uh, just couldn't get it done. But I'm feeling good. Like this'll be like, I'll get it done this year. Since I started Spartan Forge, I haven't tagged, put a tag on a good deer since I started Spartan Forge. It's the year before I actually got serious on this. Yep. Um, was the last time I took like what I would consider a good buck and uh, just haven't had the time for anything otherwise, but uh, it's, I'm not complaining. No, man. Listen, and here's the other piece about that. It's funny because back in 19, when I started antler up, I I killed a nice good mountain buck and everything like that. And since then I've been on like a three year, like of mishaps last year was probably the first year where I actually did not have an opportunity on a buck, but the two years prior to that, I either messed up or something along those lines. So it was kind of like, gosh, dang it. You know what I mean? It, It couldn't piece it together. And man, like I said earlier, I just, kind of going through the motions again of, of just enjoying it, having fun. And, you know, I'm, you know, obviously just having fun and, and it's amazing how much your mind will kind of reset a little bit and just enjoy that process. And that's what I've been able to do. And it's, it's been a blast so far. Yeah. Awesome. That's but awesome. Good to hear. Here's, here's what I want to ask you though, Bill, cause man, I've, even though you've been busy, which has been, you know, I guess it's, it's that good busy, right. And got married and all that type of stuff, man, it is so awesome to see the growth of Spartan Forge. And it's amazing that some of the hunters and the camp that you have, uh, you know, been able to surround yourself with dude, what's all those, I, if you could think of like either, let's start with this one. Let's start with a fun one. Let's start with like a, a fun story over the last couple of years of a hunt or a camp, something along those lines with all the people you've been able to rub shoulders with, obviously Taylor Chamberlain and Levi and uh, you know, you got Snyder and all the guys from seek one, you know, what's, what's a memory or a hunt that really sticks out to you? I mean, it's it just re- recently happened, but uh, I just did this elk hunt um, out in uh, Montana with Drew Carroll. And uh, Drew has become, you know, one of my best friends. I mean, we talk almost every day. Um, uh, he's just a great dude. And uh, we went elk hunting and um, I learned a ton. I was only out there for only, I was out there for like eight days, nine days. And um, you have like an idea in your head about how things are going to be, having never really done a bow elk hunt before or not. I'd never done a bow elk hunt before. Um, you kind of have, you know, an idea of how things will go and it just never, you know, in my life, at least I've never been able to predict these things and how they're going to turn out. But, um, spending, you know, Drew is a fantastic outdoorsman, I think far better than people give him credit for. And, um, and 
you know, that, that eight day period, we had one of our stocks that, you know, to be on public and we had hunters everywhere. I mean, we were running into hunters everywhere. Um, to be on public and doing a general draw on, in Montana and having as many experiences with mature elk as we had, I think is really a testament to his abilities. But um, we, we, it was probably like the fourth or fifth day. We had a couple good encounters with elk where we were within 100, 200 yards of elk. And just we weren't closing the distance. And um, we, are, we were at an area in the morning where every time I think about it, we should, like, like I said, it's the fourth or fifth day or something like that. We probably should have stayed where we were at. Or, or at least if you if you were to try to consider the situation objectively, you would say, yeah, we should probably stay in this area because we had good elk experience that morning. And we went to go eat lunch, I think, we, which we hadn't done the whole time. And we were like, all right, we're just kind of stressing ourselves out here. Let's just go get some lunch and regroup. So we did. And we were driving by an area that we had. Uh, we were camping near and, and we had scouted before, but it just the way that the area set up, it didn't look like it would be good for elk. Well, when we drove by, we glassed it, and there were um, there was probably a herd of at least 50 or 75 elk wow. in an area that we could get to. Um, and the only reason that we saw it is because we went down and ate and could see from the road where the elk were. If we had been up in our camp, we probably wouldn't have seen them. Or, or if we tried to hunt that area like we had before, we might not have seen them. Or by the time we did, we would have spooked them. But anyway we um put a stock on and the, I, I, I imagine the video will be out here soon um and you'll be able to watch this i don't know how much of this they include but we initially you know were kind of like on a knob and i did a stock you know basically low crawling with my bow on my side um to a bush that was about 100 or 150 yards away from these elk and they're kind of bedded and meandering and Drew was going to stay behind me and call and try to get the, the bull elk to come up and take a look at what was going on. Um, and there are huge elk in this herd, but really I was going to shoot like the first non-spike elk that I saw because I just, you know, I, I, I didn't have any, I wasn't there to do anything other than harvest an elk and I really didn't care um, uh, the size. So, um, what we did was I, I got in front of this bush. He started calling. The elk were kind of looking. Um, and I can't remember if it was the wind had started to change because there was a storm coming in. I don't remember what the reason was, but we decided that it wasn't going to happen. So we ended up coming back and going all the way around, like shifting south, going all the way around to the east and trying to set up on these elk differently. And as we're moving, it starts to rain. And then there was some thunder. And then as we're moving, there's like a rainbow above us and it starts to hail <laughs> and we're getting behind these elk. And as we get behind these elk, we realize that there are more elk in the bushes than we thought. Oh, wow. So we end up getting down on the ground and, and kind of low crawling through this area, trying to get to the backside of these bedded elk that were pretty like the one I wanted to kill, which was a pretty good elk. And then we get pinned down by some bull, some smaller bull elk. And we're like hiding under a log, essentially, as they try to walk by. And the wind was in our favor the way that we were working as they try to walk by. And, I mean, the elk were within, at one point, I think, within 10 feet of us. Um, and they keep moving down. And even if we had bumped them, we still we knew we could still get to the elk that were up on the field uh, or up in the clearing that we were trying to get to. 
And so then we make them, so it starts to hail again. We make them move up towards the, um, the top. As we get up there, um, it, the elk had shifted while we were making our move. So we go down into this cut, like this, it's a valley that's also a cut. Um, and we see elk at the bottom and the cameraman's like, uh, you know, his name's Thomas. He's like, I don't, I don't think we can get on those elk. And I'm like, I think we can make a stock on those elk. I was like, at least I'm going to try. So we ended up getting to within about 50 or 55 yards. Um, and it took forever, what seemed like an eternity. And I got down there and, and right as I loosed my arrow, the elk took a step forward and that moves, you know, where I was aiming between when I, when I loose the arrow and when he took the shot, he moved a good three feet forward and I hit him back, um, and never found blood, never found arrow or anything. Um, and searched for two days for the deer and I was just sick about it or deer <laughs> searched, searched two days for the elk and I was just sick about it. And then, um, a guy, um, that we ran into later who had an adjacent property to where we were hunting said that another hunter had killed that same elk, um, in an alfalfa field. Wow. Like a couple of days later. So I was relieved to hear that the animal was like alive and, and apparently he was chasing, um, cows when he was killed. So he, not a lot of damage was done apparently. Um, and that he was, uh, you know, harvested and that there wasn't wasted meat or an elk up there somewhere dead that, you know, wasn't getting eaten or wasn't being harvested. So, you know, that I've said it before and I think I even say it in the video, like if that had ended with a kill, it probably would have been one of the top five moments of my life. Yeah. Like the whole way that everything worked out. Um, it's still, it's still as a top 20 moment of my life. Like just the, the whole experience and like all of, um, everything happening around us just seemed to point towards this thing ending in a, in a harvest and a kill. And unfortunately it didn't happen, but it, it was amazing. It was one of the best, you know, it was an amazing time in my life and I'll never forget it. Take the guesswork out of building your own arrows for this upcoming season by ordering a custom set of arrows from Exodus Outdoor Gear. They have developed and sourced literally the most precise archery components on earth to build a tailored arrow for your hunting adventures. Just head over to Exodus's website and plug in your specifications in the arrow builder and have your custom set sent straight to your door. You have two arrows to choose from, one being the MMT arrow, which is a 246 diameter shaft, and the new NIS, which is a 204 diameter shaft arrow. Use code AU to save 15% off your tailored arrow order at exodusoutdoorgear.com. That's awesome. Now, did you get the, you said that was your first time chasing elk with the bow and everything like that. Now, did you get the bug for that? Yes. Yeah, yeah for sure. I'll, be, I'll for sure be doing that next year. Uh, no that, question. That's awesome. That's, that's good to hear. Um, you know, Bill, since the last time that we've actually officially talked on a podcast, it was episode like 65. This will almost be like 199 for us now. Um, wow. Yeah, dude. So Rat. yeah, thank you. So Spartan Forge though, in that time frame, has grown tremendously, you know, for starters back then, it wasn't even an app yet. Um, you know, and lately we've been doing some, or I say we, you've been doing some really great things with on obviously developing it. And like I said, it's grown tremendously, but even more so recently, you've been doing a lot of like Q and a on, on Instagram and everything like that, which I think is awesome. I love reading, you know, what other people might have, like not just for Spartan Forge, but really, you know, when a lot of people do that, right. Like different companies or different people, um, and they're able to provide certain things, you know, over with reading those things, what's been like kind of your, 
your most frequent hitters before we dive into maybe even some things, uh, major talking points for the updates since Spartan Forge has really come into its own? Um, I guess, I guess mostly it's about, and, and, and as, as the product owner, it was kind of my fault, but I think I didn't account for some of maybe like the behemoths that were in the market you know, before me Mm -hmm. that got not necessarily, I don't think they have a better app. I think ours is the best app on the market right now. Um, We have some stuff with property and like land stuff that we're still, you know, it's, it's just a research thing where you have to find the sources of data and get all of the data together and then model the data and, and style it and then put it in the application. So it's a time thing. It's not something I can throw money at. It's just something we need to spend more and more time on. So that, that was, that, that besides that right there, mm-hmm. obviously we need to get more mature in that realm. I think from a feature usability and dependability standpoint, I think it's the best app on the market. Um, but that being said, what I didn't account for is, was that people got trained on how to use an Onyx or a hunt stand or a hunt wise, um, which all kind of use the same way of displaying and interacting with data, which basically is like, you know, they'll, they'll get you with a free app and then they'll sell you a state by state app and then they'll sell you a nationwide app. And then once you have the nationwide app, you have to go find the layer for that state and then you download the layer and then you display the layer. Um, and, and when you're going through that process, what I didn't account for was people getting used to seeing data and being interacting and pr- data being presented that way um, that my thought was if I just make a customizable map where all you have to do is, you know, hit a gear and hit a, hit a um, chip mm-hmm. and it's displaying the data for all of the U S like that to me is superior and easier because it's quicker and there's less clicks and there's less friction with the application, the less interacting. But as a product owner, what I didn't foresee is that people were just used to the other ways and that I would have to do a better job of educating them on how, the new thing was going to work. And so th- my, my, the biggest thing would, I would say the most frequent question, as much as I don't like to say it's the most frequent question is just like, how do I get to this piece of data? Or I saw you did this in your, you know, you showed us in an Instagram reel how to do, how you do something, but I don't see that data or I didn't see this or whatever. So unfortunately, and it's, you know, it's just something that I think we're getting better at it. Um, the operability and interoperability and the, um, the aesthetic and the UI and the UX is getting better, obviously from like, you know, last year, the, even the beta that we had the year before. Yeah. But, um, that's probably still my biggest question is just, I don't know how to get to that thing or somebody will be in there and not sure, you know, so there's a good and bad news story. The, The bad news story is I, as the product owner and CEO, I'm responsible for that friction that users are having, and I'm trying to do a lot to address it, but you know, you can only move some of this stuff so fast, but, but that's the bad news story. The good news story is that people are seeing what we're doing and they're, they're motivated enough to try to learn something else in order to, to get to that, which I think is the biggest hurdle as a company. So um, from, from like general overall, I'd say the biggest question is just like, how do I do this or how do I do X, Y, or Z? And, you know, we put material out there on our YouTube and on other YouTubes and, you know, to show people how to do this, but you can't also just sit someone down in front of a screen and say, here, watch this video. Right. right? The, the thing about these other apps being first to market was you had to learn it. 
And you really didn't complain or care that you had to learn it because the data at the time was so valuable and the presentation and the fact that no one else was really doing it and the, and how easy maps made it to navigate the woods in the dark and that type of stuff. You just learned it. You just picked it up and learned it and you didn't really even think about it. But now that we have all of these options and choices, not only in the outdooring realm, but in every realm, um, you know, product owners need to first be conscious of, you know, what is, how is this problem being solved now that you're trying to solve and how do you account for that during your user interface um, development or when you're trying to model these solutions. But then secondly, do that, but also make the data new and innovative and better than what came before so that you've got now a separate incentivization track to get people into the application. So th those are the, th that, that's the major question. And then um, beyond that, I get tons of questions about deer movement. I mean, people <laughs> um, have listened to podcasts where I've talked about looking at GPS data. And, you know, I, when there was a moment when I was still hunting and using GPS data and, and looking at GPS data and learning a ton from it. And it impacted um, the way that I hunt tremendously. Um, first, initially, not for the better, but then in the final analysis for the better. Um, and then that, I would say that's the second most um, frequent is I'll make a reel about how I use the wind or how I use LIDAR or how I use slope angle or how I use the 3D feature. And then people will be like, why, why are you doing that? Or how does that help you? Or what? And then that inevitably talk turns into a conversation about deer movement or, or something along those lines, which, you know, I've got long, long chats with people. You know, I've got like a core of probably like 60 or 80 people that I get questions from pretty regularly. Yeah. Um, and I go like, I really make an effort to make sure I'm always answering people as often as possible and that they're dealing directly with me. Um, and, uh, that's probably the second tranche of questions that I get mostly is about deer movement yep. um, from there. So that's kind of, you know, not the sexiest answer to a question like that, but it's the true oh, one. Heck yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, those three features, like you just said that you talked about, that's what really drew me to helping me fill my, my multiple tags this year. Dude, the LIDAR has just been phenomenal. I get people all the time messaging me and they're like, Oh my, like when you were dropping that, <laughs> like when it wasn't available just yet and, and you posted it, I was getting, I got like five to 10 messages right away. They're like, where is this? Where is this? I'm like, uh, give me one second. I messaged Bo. I'm like, we don't have that. Right. He goes like, yeah, no, not yet. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. That's good to hear. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So now, you know, obviously the, the main questions that, you know, you're usually getting, but you know, since things have developed and we just touched upon some of those, those new features, Bill, you know, what are else and maybe is coming down the pipeline or what are you trying to really hone in on? And, um, you know, your favorite feature and overlooked aspect of it, you know, kind of talk, I guess, a little bit more about the app regarding that, those types of questions. Yeah, so we're continuing to roll that stuff on Blue Force Tracker um, and kind of sh shape it up. Like there were things with Blue Force Tracker where you, I had to get it out there in a beta mode in order to evaluate, A, how people were using it, but then B, where um, kind of those impediments to learning were again. So we're making some changes there and um, kind of making it solid as we move out of beta um, into like the fully featured product release. And we will be doing right now, for instance, if you and I hunt the same area, you can, you know, draw some geometry and then we auto share pins in that area. 
and you can share photos inside of those pins. And it's just a good way wow. to not being, not constantly sending back, you know, if you hunt with someone in the same area, not constantly sending back and forth points. Um, the next release um, will have some fixes. And then the, the release after that will have live location share. So if you and I are half service and we're hunting the same area, we'll be able to see each other's um, location. And then the final one, after, not final, the one after that, which I'm hoping to do by scouting season or so, will be um, chat a chat dialogue for each geometry. So for each area where you have these Blue Force Tracker teams built, there'll be a chat dialogue for each piece of the geometry. So, um, and, and then we, I've got some other stuff that's kind of, um, I'm not talking about it a ton because people will get very excited about it and then it'll turn into a never ending, um, <laughs> you know, cavalcade of questions about when this feature is coming up. But we have some really cool AI stuff that we're coming out with soon. Um, and I would say the most underused or underutilized feature or missed feature, I would say, is the historical wind. Um, yeah. at, at least from a, again, it's something super simple, but it's also not something that any of the other apps um, really feature. But it's also single-handedly more important than camo, more important than if you're in a saddle or a tree stand or you're in the ground or you're in the air or um, what bow you're shooting or the speed of your arrow. None of that matters if you don't understand the wind in the area mm-hmm. because you're not going to see deer. Um, and I would say it's the most underutilized feature of the application um, when I look at you know, like a cross-section of what people are using. And I'm, I'm going to do a post probably today or tomorrow about the wind features that are inside of the application that people aren't using. But in, you know, inside of the app, essentially what you have is Anywhere that you, um, uh, you know, place your crosshairs in the continental United States, you push that Intel button, and then you look at push the historical button. It'll t- show you a polar plot, which is just um, a visual way of representing wind direction using these spikes. The bigger the spike, the more wind that occurs at that direction or comes from that direction. Um, And when you're doing your digital scouting and then moving into on the ground scouting, like that's the most that's the single like most important piece of information um, that people probably don't really think about or consider, or they aren't using um, to do. And then the second part from there is, you know, the journaling feature, which again, grabs that historical wind and historical weather. Um, So when you're observing things in the woods or you're scouting or whatever, um, that, that it will go back and pull that historical weather um, you know, if you, if you make the journal entry the day after, or, you know, myself, I use it and we're going to make it easier to integrate with trail camera stuff very soon. But, um, when I pull historical, when I'm looking at a particular camera, I'll make journal entries for every time that I see a buck in the area and the app will go back and grab that historical weather that I'm looking at. What were the weather conditions? What was the time of day? you know, where thermals rising or falling when, what was the wind direction and wind velocity right. when bucks that I'm targeting are frequenting this area. Um, that again is like the journal feature and it's not easy or it's not something you can just go online and easily find without a paid subscription or do it without doing some dig- digging to find out what the weather was, you know, three years ago yeah. next Sunday. Yep. Um, so that that's present there as well. And I'd say that's another underutilized Um, piece of the application but it's also those two things are also singularly 
what most of the people on our pro staff that are, you know, they're all good hunters in their own right. They all use those two features a ton when they're considering scouting and then putting together an ingress and an egress and, um, you know, how they get to their stand, how do they get away from their stand using that historical data or even going back and looking at, okay, I had this buck in this area. I've never had access to historical data. Now I'm going to go and look at every time this buck was on this hillside at what the weather and temperature and wind direction was when this buck was in there. And generally there's a distribution of, 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 um, uh, whether you know uh, the, the weather it can be it can be grouped and you can say okay well it was like a north to a northwest wind between five and ten miles an hour and it was you know this time of year when i saw this buck in here and that's something that maybe didn't stick out to people at first um and, and then it become and then using the application in that manner um, crystallizes it so those are the two things that i think get overlooked, but are also used most by the most successful hunters that I know. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I like what you said earlier, when, when you go maybe scout a new area, right. And you're, maybe you, you go on, you're just kind of, you didn't have time before to look at it in a sense. You're just out there like, Oh, Hey, I want to go check this spot. And you didn't really dive in a ton and you get down to this one location. You're like, Oh wow, it's littered with sign. I'd really like this, you know, mark it. Right. And that's when you could go, like you said, look at that historical, that wind and be like, okay, this is a, a good win where I can, can hunt or, Hey, this spot and really not so much, but maybe over on top of the Ridge, I might be able to hunt it because the wind up there would work or something along those lines. That's, um, that is a critical component. And I, that is a feature that again, you definitely need to look at. Yeah. I mean, the, the, I guess the third part to that with wind again, and I'm, I'm only thinking about this cause I think I'm going to make this post this afternoon is that, um, there are ways that scrapes and and um, topography um, topography hubs, thermal hubs, both um, elevated and um, descending thermal hubs, um, the way that they set up, there's there's really only one way to play them and get into them without you know alerting every deer in the area, especially like a time during the rut. Mm-hmm. So looking again at the hourly wind feature inside of the application, understand when the wind is going to be shifting um, and how that can help you set up in an area when you're taking advantage of something like a thermal hub and then, um, you know, cloud cover and, 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 and sun sunlight and, and thermal generation and how it impacts those things. Again, that's, it's all related to wind. And I think it's one of the most overlooked features in the application. Yeah. Where are you going to be this November? I'll be, I will be up in the Allegheny. Nice. Very um, nice. almost every year since, I don't know, 2017 or 2018, I usually spend the first week of November, um, chasing deer up in like the Allegheny, like Northwestern. Yep. So I think Northwestern, North central part of Pennsylvania, something, something along those lines. If you're in the market for finding a new trail camera, I highly encourage you to look no further than Exodus. Exodus has two main options to choose from as far as cameras go, a budget-friendly option that doesn't compromise quality. The Exodus rival is the camera for you. Simplicity meets functionality in this easy-to-use, feature-rich cell camera. The rival offers crystal clear photo quality, easy setup and use with complete remote management through the app anywhere in the world. 
two already are set up in northeastern PA for me, and they're working flawlessly. And if you're looking for an all-encompassing cell camera, seriously, look no further than the Render. It's their flagship camera. It stood the test of time for thousands of hunters across the country. I have one deployed here locally where I live and another one I'm saving for back in northeastern PA. Again, zero issues. And I'll tell you what, Exodus stands by their five-year warranty for accidents or for theft top of the line customer service so see for yourself why so many made the switch to exodus and experience the exodus difference use code au to get 15 percent off your first camera today awesome so now how how are you using uh, i mean obviously you've been doing it now for a couple of years so obviously your your personal experience you have gained over the last couple of years you got probably johnny stewart and Bo and all those guys and i know lee and have and uh, drew have come up to for that hunt as well um, the last like year or two or something along those lines. But, you know, other than that, how are you or how could someone use the app to maybe help with uh, to get ready for that process of that hunt and game planning for for that specific hunt in, in November? Because, right, the rut's going on around that time. Or, you know, if it's not Pennsylvania, it might be other sta- states where the gun season's about to roll in. And, you know, we're just on the tail end of of the bow season for PA. You know, well, how are you using the app to maybe pro like, get your process ready for that specific hunt? I mean, if I was to, 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 this is simplified or oversimplified, but if I'm talking to somebody, most people want simple answers. Mm -hmm. So if I were to tell someone how to use the app simply up for, you know, a PA hunt that I'm doing, I would say first identify areas. The first thing I would do is I'd turn on that LIDAR map and then I would identify areas that are over a half mile to walk away from that don't allow easy access. And then I would use that LIDAR feature to look for, I would turn on timber cuts and then I would turn on that LIDAR feature and I would look for where I have a, a, um, a, a large number relative to the acreage of historical cuts that range between three and five years old and then I would use that LIDAR feature and I would look for intersecting um, historical logging trails that are probably overgrown based on the based on the age of the timber cuts. And then I would look at where three or four of those trails come together for whatever reason. And then I would focus on the areas where there are um, cuts or drainages where multiple of those trails intersect Mm -hmm. between timber cuts. And then I would go and scout and look for scrapes or community scrapes in those areas. Then I would mark them and I would use that historical wind feature to understand what's the wind been in that area. If I've never been to this area or I don't have a camera set there, then I would hunt those areas. And if, if there's an active scrape in there during, you know, from basically now, or maybe one or two days from now until November 10th. If you're sitting in there, whenever you can, you're going to see a buck. Yeah. I like that. That would, that would be my simple advice. There's much more to it. Oh yeah. But I think if you just followed that advice right there and you have five or six days of vacation that you're willing to burn sitting over a scrape, you're going to see a buck. Yeah. So no question with, with that trip, man, I'll bet you that's a fun one. It is. It is. Yeah. It's going to be, I mean, I, I generally um, believe it or not do it for the most part alone. I might see people for a couple of days, 
like I'm going to film some stuff with Bo, but I'm not going to be hunting with him. So I'll probably be heading to his hunt camp at night. And then we're going to be filming some stuff about deer camp um, that we're doing for like a Spartan Forge video that we want to put together, like a cultural video about like reconstituting the deer camp um, vibe, basically like getting that um, kind of back into the zeitgeist. So, um, but I, I try and I've, for the past few years, I've been pretty successful at it for at least four or five of the days being totally alone and just focusing on hunting. And then usually for a few days after that is when I'll either go see Johnny and go set a couple with him or with Bo or someone else and, and fart around. Um, so I'm, my guess is that come the fifth or sixth, I'll be with those guys until the seventh or eighth. And that's generally just like, you know, deer camp and getting to the sand too late because you're up the night before. But from Halloween until probably the fourth or the fifth, I'll be, concentrating on just getting a buck on the ground. Dude, that's awesome. And I like that camp feel. I grew up hunting with my dad. So like deer camp to me was just hanging out with my dad. Those good nights before at his house, like nothing, uh, nothing going somewhere like that. You know what I mean? Waking up and just stepping outside and going into the woods. I didn't have that growing up. I had a different, you know, ritual, I guess you could kind of say, but man, having that camp feel, uh, is, is just something that I think at least, even if you and your buddies go in and create it, Right. So like with, yeah. with that, like, what are you guys trying to, I mean, I guess without maybe giving too much away if, if you don't want to, but you know, I guess kind of in a nutshell, what is the, the, the meaning and the purpose behind that? I mean, I think that camaraderie gets lost on people or they've never really experienced it. Um, where, you know, the, the most important, the constitu- the singular most constituent element of deer camp that I think can't be left without is just having good people in deer camp. Mm-hmm. Um, like good dudes that are genuinely and honestly um, concerned with the betterment of people around them. So that sounds maybe easy, but it's really difficult actually to find people that are like that and not trying to just get their deer or do their thing or, you know, um, the devil take the hindmost kind of attitude. Um, and, and so just getting that group together first, I think is, is a very important element, but then also, you know, how, you know, for me, again, it's the camaraderie, it's getting everyone together. And, and, and for me, deer camp becomes even more fun when like the weather is horrible and it's cold and you're, you know, you're miserable during the day and then you're getting back and there's the meal and the camaraderie and the fellowship and, um, you know, everyone having a good time and giving each other a rough, you know, a hard time or, you know, being ridiculous men, um, for four or five days and just having that and, and, and women also can participate in deer camp. I'll, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's not possible. Of course they can. Um, but then, it, but then after, you know, a harvest, whether it's a doe or a spike buck or a 180 inch deer, um, the shared sense of community around the action of, you know, processing and then eating an animal, um, is something that's probably been in our DNA for like 2 million years. And it's probably, you know, one of the reasons why we're here because just like you're addicted, I think what people maybe miss is just, just as addictive as looking at a fire, you know, you get, you get a fire going, everyone is just going to sit there and look at the fire. Right. Um, because, you know, from our past, it's, that was, you know, one of the few safe spaces um, where you had a group and the animals would stay away. And it, you know, it was some, it was a, it, it's, it's, it's ingrained in our history and in our, in our, in our, 
primordial past that that is the place to be and that's where technology was born out of and you know capability and the ability to cook food and everything kind of derives from that um and deer camp and surrounding yourselves with people and sharing in the hunt and the harvest um with good people and having a laugh and forgetting about the stresses of the of the current world that we have today for four or five days is something that I think people don't realize how amazing it is until they've experienced it. Um, and trying to kind of reconstruct, I'm not saying the culture is totally gone, but it, it, for my experience, my, my town that I grew up in was singularly oriented around deer camp. For, it was the only time you could, if you were still playing football, it was the only time you could get out of football. If you were going to, you know, it was the only time it was acceptable not to be at church. Um, everyone, you know, somebody would kill and everyone, you know, a big buck and he'd, dry, he'd slap, strap it across the roof of his car and drive around downtown in 10 degree weather to show everyone he'd kill this big buck. And then people would gather in a parking lot and, you know, drink beer and everyone would talk about it. And it was just, it was this community thing. And we also don't do enough community things anymore. You know, a lot of people live in places where they don't even know their neighbors. Um, and, and I think that is a social aspect um, of our society that we lack as well. So reinstantiating all of those things and then showing people the beauty of it and, uh, and the wholesomeness of it and the fun of it, um, I think is something that could use a revival. Yeah. I, you know, you brought up some really cool points, and, and while you're just saying all that stuff, Bill, one thing came to my mind is that, you know, I don't, I know people think about it, but, it, you know, you've, obviously, you've had some great people behind the scenes that we don't even know about helping you with, with the app, but man, like, you've, you've really started, like, created this thing from the ground up, right, and over the last couple of years, how, man, what, what are some things that you feel like you've grown substantially in like even as a, as a businessman as a hunter as a person as a as a parent as a husband you know what are some of those aspects that you know maybe at times where you're ready to put your head through a wall because you could just couldn't maybe get this breakthrough but it, over the last couple of years with your support system and your friends and getting things going like where do you see the yourself and where did you see yourself grow the most I mean, a ton of, there's a ton of places. Um, this kind of goes back to like the, the most popular question, um, question, which, um, you know, it's something I, I think I'm trying to think about right now as we, as we do this podcast, um, and, and really for the purposes of the listeners and not droning on for an hour about, because really it's been a multitude of things, mm -hmm. um, that I've grown in and, uh, I mean, there, there's multiple, there's so many things that I could sit here and go on for hours and hours about because, um, you know, you, you could truly write a book about all of the, there's a saying in the military, basically no plan survives first contact, which basically means you can draw up your best war plan and say, this is how I want to carry out a kinetic operation. Um, but the first time you receive contact or that you start getting shot at, a lot of that stuff changes and goes out the window and then you've kind of the important thing is to have a group of people that understand what the mission is at the simplest level mm -hmm. and that everyone can, once the bullets start flying, everyone can drive towards that um, initiative 
towards that objective, that goal, um, regardless if there's a leadership void or if there is, um, uh, you know, a, a dissembling of, of like whatever the organizational hierarchy you thought was present whenever you found, got into the situation. Um, and, and that's kind of what, what leads me into where I've grown the most. I kind of came to the Spartan Forge um, start point with an understand, like having been in the military for over 21 years, which really is just, you don't even have to say military. Like I say military a lot just because I've, only, I've been in it since I was 17. And it's really all I know how to talk about mm-hmm. besides my limited time now of being a, a CEO at Spartan Forge. Um, it really applies everywhere. I, I came into t- with 21 years of experience doing something else. And it doesn't need to be the military. It could have been anywhere else that I'm, you know, challenged. And, um, you know, I I could have been doing power lines. I could have been doing electrical work. It doesn't matter. Um, But the importance or what I kind of came with was you you need to have, you need to establish your organizational priorities. The reason that you exist as an organization and you have to constantly test that to make sure that it's correct. And then, but you, but then you also have to spell it out. So you have like an organizational ethos or a charter that says, this is what, you know, what we're going to do, but then you need to make sure that everyone in the organization as well knows that and that, and that you're hiring and bringing on people that um, can move towards that goal because you kind of have two styles of leadership mostly. And there's, of course there's more, permutations of that but like at a high level the macro um level there there's two versions of leadership one is like leaders that are in everything that's going on and involved and there's actually places where you kind of need that Mm -hmm. um but for the most part it's not great when you're in an organization where your leadership's in everything that you're doing but if you can trust the people in the organization you can express the mission and and um kind of get out of people's way and just let them do things and, and, and charge them with whatever the goal is and let them carry it out. People will work harder in that, in that situation. And, and being in the military, often I would have a pool of people that I could select from to do these things. Um, and you could build teams that way. But you had a cross section of people, whereas in the in the private market, you have you you can hire anyone you want, and for a, at least for a period of time, you can fall over yourself and make a ton of mistakes. And as long as you're learning from those mistakes and getting better, you'll go along. So so all of that is to say, and and I'm sorry I'm talking around it, but it, it's really about the people in the organization choosing the. I can't underscore how important it is to choose the right people for the organizations. And that doesn't mean somebody who comes to the table with all of the knowledge. Right. Um, but more important than that is somebody that is trustworthy and self-starting um, that doesn't need, like, if you can do that, I'm getting things done with 15 people that most organizations aren't getting done with a hundred or 150 people. Right. Um, my competitors, for example, you know, have research staffs that are larger by my whole organization fivefold 
Um, now there's obviously advantages in getting, doing that, but I don't want to grow so fast that I lose that, you know, to, it's kind of funny, but that Spartan aspect of the organization, which is I'm only going to bring the resources um, to bear that are needed at the most minimal level in order to achieve the outcome that I want. So really what I've learned and to answer your question, which there's never any short answers with me is um, it truly is about like, it was a cliche maybe even more so before than it is now. It's truly about having the right people on board. And really the most important thing about the right people is not their technical aptitude or their um, genius. It's their, their ability to be a self starter and their ability to, um, or, or their, their, their ethic and their morals and their principles, like quality people. Um, and that really, if you, if you give me like more quality self-starting people, there's really no measure to what I can get done in an organizational hierarchy versus if you give me a hundred people that are just showing up for a paycheck. Right. Um, and, and it sounds like I came to the, it sounds like after I tell all of this, came to the table knowing that but I really didn't and I've really learned it more and more and I'm kind of talking at like a really high strategic level but it I can't underscore it enough quality people and quality being defined in the way that I defined it before um you're nothing without them right um and you can have all of the great ideas and you can be the greatest CEO and have all of these shining um uh you know things on your curriculum that says why you're the best CEO ever. But in the end, it's really about um, instilling a, a purpose in people and bringing the best people on board. And if you do that, there's really no um, limit to what you can do. So that's, I would say that that has, it's just become way more underscored for me and it's become, it's become, I can't even question that anymore. Whereas probably when I entered into Spartan Forge, it, it was something that I, um, you know, I, I, I probably would have said, if you give me a hundred people, I'll get Spartan Forge done. Yeah. I would never go that route now. I would, it, it, you know, a hundred people at 50% is far harder to manage than 15 people at a hundred percent. Right. Um, and so that I would say is probably one of the biggest things and, and, and it con continues to be I'll interview 10 or 15 people, myself and my co-founders um, will interview 15 people and we might have one person for this back for the second interview and we might hire that one person. Um, so the numbers are very low, but um, yeah, I would say that's probably the biggest one is, is, is not really that I've learned something. It's more or less that I've really, un it's that I, something has been underscored for me in a way um, that's as if I didn't even know it was a rule or why I had become a cliche in the first place. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that would probably be the biggest and shining thing out of all of that. But then the second one that I've learned is what I kind of talked about before, which I keep harping on because it's kind of this mindset and the frame of reference that I have going on right now is, is, is understanding where people are coming from in the hunting industry from different places and different um, avenues and, and trying to understand what either bias or programming or what are their goals. Um, and then 
thinking about all of those things and allowing that to drive how things are going to function and look inside of the application in order to reduce the amount of friction of having new users come on and, and what is the time lapse between the moment they log into the app for the first time to where they are using it as effectively and thoroughly as they can um, is also something that can't be underscored and and is far larger of a challenge that I could have ever thought. Right. Um, and it's something that I'm constantly thinking about right now um, ad nauseum. It's awesome. Dude, fire me up, man. <laughs> uh, it's funny because I say all of that and then I start to feel smaller and smaller and smaller uh, about my charge. No, so man. I'm glad it's firing you up. No, man, that's, that's awesome. And I, I, you know, listen, I, I think you're, you do a phenomenal job. Uh, you got a lot going on and, you know, unfortunately we live in a world where we, you know, we want everything right now, 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 and, and it, things take time and good things will come about it. And then, you know, like you said earlier about building that camp feel again, you know what I mean? It's about being around good people, supporting good people. And man, that's, that's the one aspect of, of doing this. What I really like to do is, is being able to interact and talk to cool and, and meaningful and impactful people like yourself, Bill. So, man, Bill, I, I appreciate you taking the time, uh, discussing some things, helping, you know, hunters out with, you know, what to do here coming up in November, but also how to utilize the app a little bit better. Um, you know, I, I, I appreciate you and I talking about leadership and I don't know, man, it's just a good fun conversation and I'm excited to, to have everybody here tune in. So obviously Bill, where could people follow and listen to, uh, you talk or watch or even catch out with, uh, Spartan Forge? Uh, so, I mean, on social, it's Spartan.Forge on Instagram, and then that links to our Facebook. Um, on YouTube, you can just look up Spartan Forge as well. Um, and, you know, on Instagram or Facebook, if you have questions. And, you know, nine times out of ten, the marketing guys will see it. Um, and if they can respond to it, they will. But if it's a question for me or if it's something about, you know, capability or deer movement or complaints about the product, um, then you're going to get me. Um, you know, as, as for as long as I can. So if they have any questions or recommendations or um, whatever, um, that they can find me there. And uh, our YouTube has a lot of the instructional content and we're continuing to release more. And uh, yeah. Awesome. I like it, Bill. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Everybody go check Bill out and definitely check out SpartanForge.ai. Uh, use code AntlerUp20. You'll save 20%. So check that out. And we'll see you next week, everybody. Antler up. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Antler Up podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Please go check us out on our Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Go Wild and at antlerupoutdoors.com. If you enjoyed this episode, go leave a review and subscribe for next week's episode. Until then, Antler Up.